This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York. Today is Friday, July 3rd, 2020. And there's quite a few things we might get to today. Some things we might talk about today. Some things we'll try to get to in no specific order. WWE's reality TV viewership. The WWE stockholders meeting rules of conduct. Google web search for the top WWE and AEW stars. Maybe some miscellaneous others as well. Bushi Road, a few weeks ago actually, put out its Q3 report. Maybe a couple weeks ago. Evolve has been sold to WWE. We are well into the time of coronavirus. The latest in what's happening there, and what happened at the last AEW taping. Some big four TV viewership trends. I've spent the last few hours when I should have been recording this podcast. I've been knee-deep in it, not just AEW and NXT TV viewership, but knee-deep into the minutia of quarter-hour viewership. Can you believe it? I don't know what I learned, but but I have a spreadsheet with many tabs in front of me. And... A couple weeks ago, we talked about the class action lawsuit uh, where stockholders are suing WWE, claiming that they were misled or lied to about WWE's uh, expectations for its Middle East, North Africa TV deal. They're they're suing WWE over that, and one Jerry McDivitt has weighed in. So first, let's do the short news items. Evolve Wrestling has been sold to WWE. According to PW Insider, the deal was finalized after several months of negotiations between WWE and Evolve parent WWN, the World Wrestling Network. According to The Observer, Evolve booker Gabe Sapolsky will continue to work for WWE and NXT in a creative capacity. Evolve and WWE had had a relationship for a few years now, that, according to The Observer, allowed WWE to purchase the company at a future time. WWE may have a similar relationship and agreement with Progress Wrestling, the UK-based independent wrestling company. In COVID news, during the latest taping for AEW's Fighter Fest events, some people who were Daily's Place or Jaguar sponsors, that is the Jacksonville Jaguars, were allowed to bring some family and friends to watch the event as fans. According to Pro Wrestling Sheet, these people were seated in the upper bowl of Daly's Place, and they were probably not tested for COVID-19. Pro Wrestling Sheet's source with AEW said that everyone in the lower bowl or backstage area were tested for COVID-19. Reportedly, the attendees in the upper bowl were spaced beyond CDC's guidelines. Of course, AEW is taping in Jacksonville, Florida. WWE continues to, to tape at the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. As we've been talking about just about weekly here, the rate of new cases of the coronavirus in the state of Florida continue to surge well above the rate of that of the United States in general. Daily new cases per million in Florida on a seven-day moving average are over twice the rate of the U.S. in general. This is happening as the U.S. in general is seeing its rate of daily new COVID cases surge above 
the earlier peak in early April. Although cases have increased since restrictions were lifted, daily new cases in Japan in the last week are about one new case per million. So let's let's round a lot of wrestling-related countries up real quick, a lot of wrestling-related regions up in cases per million on average last seven days. Japan, one. Australia, about one and a half. Canada, nine. United Kingdom, 14. Mexico, 39. United States, 132. Happy 4th of July. Florida, 366. But let's dig deeper. Let's go into the Florida counties of Duval County and Orange County. Again, cases per million people. Duval County, where Jacksonville is, where AEW is running, 539. Orange County, where Orlando is, where WWE is running, 595. So let's run through all that one more time uh, from smallest to largest. These are just a, a selection of regions that are relevant to pro wrestling. Okay, from uh, smallest to largest, daily new confirmed COVID cases per million people. So that means it's adjusted for population. This is the average over the last seven days, which is June 26th to July 2nd. Lowest on this list, Japan, 0.9. Australia, 1.6. Next is Canada, 8.6. United Kingdom, 14. Mexico, 39. United States, 132. Florida, 366. As many people know, Florida is in the United States. Within Florida is Duval County, which is where Jacksonville is, 539. Orange County, which is where Orlando is in Florida, 595. But is this skewed by testing? Is it true, as Donald Trump says, that because there's so many tests, that's why we have an increase in cases? When you test, you have a case. When you test, you find something is wrong. With people, if we didn't do any tests... Yet the percentage of positive tests in the state of Florida have increased two consecutive weeks. 4% just two weeks ago, now up to 8% and 9% this week. In Duval County, positive cases at 2.5% just two weeks ago, this week up over 10%. In Orange County, two weeks ago at 5%, the week before that at 2.3%, this week up over 15%. Pro wrestling events in Orlando and Jacksonville, put on by WWE and AEW respectively, continue on. As mentioned last week, there were a number of positive cases in WWE, including Renee Young, Adam Pearce, Jamie Noble, Kayla Braxton, all of whom mentioned so themselves publicly. In AEW, John Moxley forced to stay home due to his wife Renee Young testing positive. As far as we know, Moxley has not tested positive. On Friday, PW Insider reports and the Wrestling Observer confirms WWE will fine anyone who doesn't wear a mask during production at any time other than when they're on camera. The first fine will be $500, the second fine, $1,000. No word on whether Bill Watts will come in to hand out the fines. Post Wrestling reports that WWE will be taping six more times in July at the Performance Center and six more times in August. That will tape them in-ring content running through SummerSlam with tapings ending on August 23rd. There's a worldwide pandemic. People are getting sick. People are dying. But pro wrestling goes on because, by God, we need those TV rights fees, I guess. But let's talk about YouTube. 
And by the way, today, again, is July 3rd, which means July 30th has just recently passed, which means that Q2 2020 has just come to an end. Another full quarter in the physical universe has come and gone, which means, at least in WB terms, uh, their, their calendar year lines up with uh, their fiscal year, at least since 2006. And that means this is a time where we like to look back and compare, say, the Q2 that has just passed to the Q2 of prior years. And one of the ways that we can look back and compare is with YouTube views, among other metrics. And thanks to uh, socialblade.com, we know how many views WWE is doing on YouTube. Now, last year, WWE did 9.1 billion views on YouTube in 2019, which is a huge number. 9 billion, with a B, for Carl Sagan. That's a lot. But that was down by about 1 billion from the prior year in 2018 when they did 10 billion. So somehow, even in this new media world where you would think people are adopting more new media platforms like YouTube, and at the same time we're seeing people tune out with a pretty strong R-squared out of linear TV. But uh, YouTube views have been going up steadily. I've got numbers going back to at least 2015, where they increased each year through 2018 until they went down by a billion in 2019. But this year, in the first half of this year, Q1 and Q2 have achieved the highest video view totals in the history of WWE YouTube. So that's Q1 and Q2 are the two highest quarters ever for WWE. Q1 doing 2.7 billion. This Q2 doing 4 billion for a total in the first half of the year of 6.7 billion. If you compare that to the January to June of last year, they did 4.4. So they're up at 6.7 compared to last year's 4.4. So it looks like they're going to shatter the record this year. Good news for WWE there. Maybe influenced by coronavirus. I don't know how to say much more than, than that as far as evidence, but intuitively one would, one would think maybe there's a coronavirus factor there. Maybe there's just a new media factor there. But, but the question that everybody always wants to know when we bring up YouTube views is, yes, that's great. That's fine. These are big numbers. Cool. But how much money is W really making? Because we all know that the TV money is really where it's at. And YouTube, they don't make hardly any money on YouTube, do they? Well, according to Laura Martin of Needham, she thinks she's a, a an analyst who covers W stock and a number of other media companies. She thinks that W makes about $20 million annually from YouTube. What does that mean? And, and in some sort of context, W last year, total revenue was, I think, $960 million. So it's a fraction of, of their revenue. But compare that to other pieces of business. Uh, I, I plan to talk about uh, reality TV viewership. That is the, the show's Total Divas, Total Bellas, Ms. and Mrs. I think based on some numbers that I've scraped together and trying to break that segment, the, what, the WWE other media segments, trying to break that out into uh, further segments, which is not publicly broken out into, uh, I think that the reality TV uh, revenue for WWE is about 20 to $30 million per year. So WWE reality TV and YouTube, I think in the same neighborhood. Again, maybe $20 million annually. Uh, views are up this year, but maybe advertising is taking a hit because of coronavirus and the lessened demand for advertising. So I could see, you know, even though views are probably going to be way up from last year, 
I could see, you know, ad rates being uh, maybe down. So whatever financial benefit W may have gained from the increase in views, maybe it's going to be offset more or less by the decrease in uh, demand for advertising. That would be my estimation. So let's just leave it in the in the $20 million range for I think the last two years, Laura Martin has said that. So somewhere in that range of $20 million comparable, I think to the 20 to $30 million in reality TV revenue. Maybe I'll, I'll uh, do a video someday and show how I come to that estimation for reality TV. But the big takeaway there, W doing huge business, uh, <laughs> huge views anyway. I don't know about huge business, huge views on YouTube. And oh, quick retraction. They did do 3.1 billion views in Q3 2018. That would be the number two quarter of all time. So Q1 is the number three quarter at 2.7 billion. But this quarter, Q2, shatters the record at 4 billion. On a monthly basis, May is the big leader. WB on YouTube doing 1.4 billion views. April, 1.37 billion. And June, about 1.2 billion. And come to think of it, if you've been uh, following me on Twitter, you've been seeing, maybe, that I've been tweeting that when I go to Wegmans in these uh, pandemic times and I put on the mask and I go to the local grocery store chain, Wegmans, which is an excellent grocery store, by the way, but I will go there and I will listen to old episodes of WrestleNomics Radio. That's right. We heard from one narcissist earlier. We hear from another now. Yes, I will listen to old episodes of my own podcast, but not just any episodes, of course. I will listen to the the February episode where we, in, in each year, where we look back at the whole year that, that had just passed. So around uh, early February of each year, W will, will put out its Q4 and full year earnings report. And that's sort of a, a good analysis of the year that has passed. And it's interesting to listen to. Uh, I've been meaning to bring this up. It's a uh, it's interesting to listen back, sort of like get a time capsule of about each of the last four years and see what we thought was going to happen uh, in, in the, the near future of wrestling business, which is now sort of the near past. And I hear things like Mookie and I speculate about NXT and what NXT was only on the W Network, of course, at the time. And he and I would speculate at, at, at one point in one of these episodes about, well, we, we just assumed as if it was common sense and common you know, knowledge and a safe assumption that the NXT audience would be a younger audience. We just sort of offhandedly speculate that you know, if NXT was on, you know, let's say, the USA Network, for example, you know, what would its age demographics be like? We just figured, well, it's, it's NXT. It's kind of the cooler, more alternative product it would probably have a, a younger audience. But lo and behold, here we are in the dystopic year of 2020, in this surreal time where NXT is on the USA Network, its viewership demographics, in fact, do not skew younger than Raw or SmackDown. They skew older. 
And in fact, Mookie himself works for a company that is going head to head with NXT. And I think it's around 2017, we talk about whether or not is going to get a big TV rights increase uh, as its, you know, as its previous deal was winding down, you know, a time at which, uh, among wrestling media and among fans who are kind of informed about the business and about how the media industry works, even they, even we, you know, we're not certain, at least we're not strongly certain that there would be a, a TV rights increase ahead for WWE. There were even some doom and gloomers out there who would lament the latest episode of Raw or SmackDown and would, in exasperated terms, uh, maybe reference the latest viewership decline and frantically doubt how WWE would get a TV rights increase. And I, th- and I think even uh, there's one episode where Mookie poses the question to me whether or not I thought that... Um, you know, UFC uh, was looking at uh, getting renewed or not by Fox, and well, maybe WWE is looking at Fox, and would they leave the USA Network? Would they leave NBC Universal and maybe go to Fox? And maybe would Fox, you know, discard UFC and, and go after WWE? And as we know now, uh, UFC went to ESPN first for a linear TV deal, and then for the pay-per-view deal through ESPN Plus. UFC leaving Fox, and then Fox getting not WWE as a whole, but getting SmackDown, letting NBC Universal, USA Network keep Raw for a grand total of a 3.6x, more than tripling the US TV rights fees of the previous round. And uh, a- another thing that stuck out to me, uh, Mookie says at one point, and I, w- I will out him now, he says at one point something that I thought was, uh, you know, very smart, and I'm not sure if that he would even interpret it the way that I'm about to interpret it, but nonetheless, he said, and I will take it out of context, in the absence of a philosophy, the brand is the draw, is a dangerous thing. End quote. Stars are a a terrible thing to waste, I would say. So I, I would interpret that to say, I think, and this is probably not anything revolutionary in terms of thought about the wrestling business, that WWE and maybe other brands, but especially WWE, have neglected to build stars in the way that they would need to to build a stronger business. And that while people like George Barrios and Michelle Wilson and maybe Frank Riddick have a great deal of talent and skill and experience uh, on how to run a media company, they are not wrestling people with a vision for what will make the wrestling brand stronger in the long term or in terms of understanding what kinds of stars domestically or internationally are needed to make WWE even more profitable. But I suppose it's the CEO of Vince McMahon who's, that's his job to define that strategy and define what makes a star and who the next stars are. And that's clearly something that he's failed at greatly, despite the fact that the, the value of his company has increased greatly thanks to the exploding value of live sports TV. And if I were an investor, this is a recurring mantra on this podcast, Lily. If I were an investor, which I am not, but if I were a purely amoral, I don't care about taste or art quality investor, doesn't care about how good the wrestling product is and doesn't care whether it's ethical or moral, even if I'm that kind of investor, I'm worried, not in the short term, 
but in the long term, not necessarily five years from now. Well, not 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 necessarily for the duration of these TV contracts through about 2024. But if I'm committed to hold this stock for 10 years and I look at this company's track record at trying to cultivate stars, particularly over the last five years, but even going back as far as 15 or 20 years. And if I look at the viewership demographics, the aging of this audience, the way that WWE has mismanaged and disregarded its relationship with its consumers at times in favor of improving relationships that are improving with its business partners, but sometimes investing in relationships like the relationship with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is very lucrative in the short term to the tune of $50 million every time they go there, but which has a hidden expense. It is not just an expense that causes damage to WWE's relationship with people who care about human rights or are aware of what's going on in Saudi Arabia, but it is in some ways on a global scale somewhat analogous to when Jim Crockett Promotions stopped running Starcade in Greensboro, North Carolina or Atlanta, Georgia and moved it to Chicago, Illinois, making its homegrown, home base fan base sort of feel like they had been neglected and passed over, a risk that New Japan may be running if it makes its domestic audience feel like New Japan is favoring a global vision at the expense of catering to its domestic audience. Not saying that's happening in a strong way yet, but that is a risk that has to be considered for New Japan. And in the same way, besides the human rights abuses problems, besides the, the problems with not being able to, to do women's matches over there at first, and besides the controversy surrounding the murder of Jamal Khashoggi by the Saudi government, a message is being sent to the, the base of WWE fans when WWE does enormous shows in Saudi Arabia with cards that have bigger stars than any show outside of WrestleMania and delivering shows where the bulk of the roster seems to be just kind of going through the motions in the desert. It is in a sense WWE not taking care of their base audience, passing them over for some supposedly greater ambition. And when they return home, incrementally, in a number of metrics, WWE has found that that base audience is diminishing. So to come back around, if I were a W investor concerned only with the economics of the business, but yet still know everything that I know, I would be concerned in 10 years about what kind of audience the company is going to have and whether or not that audience will be seeded to other forms of entertainment and other forms of wrestling that cultivate better relationships with the consumers who are ultimately the foundation of the industry. But speaking of star power, that's a good enough segue, I think, to go on to the Google search data. If you've been following WrestleNomics on Twitter, at WrestleNomics, then you know that I've been uh, doing some research with Google Web Search, which anybody can actually do, uh, at friends.google.com. And you can download the CSVs and harness them in such a way that they are only limited by your own uh, uh, powers. And what I've done is, and this, this will take some explaining because I've been seeing that uh, some of this got shared on Reddit, which I'm, I'm glad for, but there's always some people who don't, uh, I, excuse me, I could do a better job explaining what all of this stuff really means. So what I do is I go to Google Trends and I type in people's names, wrestlers' names in this case. And what is the data that we're collecting? The data that we're collecting 
is in almost all cases, in, in most cases, with some exceptions, which we'll get into, is not just search strings for a person's name. So not just, for example, John Moxley, which would be a problem, right? Because John Moxley has been known by other names, including Dean Ambrose. So in most cases, especially for more famous people and less so for less famous people, Google has what I'll call a topic. So if I start to type in the name Dean Ambrose or John Moxley or even Jonathan Good, Google Trends will prompt me to the topic, which they have called John Moxley, because that is the name at this point that that person is most known by in the present anyway. Or at least that's why I think Google has uh, used that name instead of Dean Ambrose which they used previously for this person who goes by any of Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, or Jonathan Good. So within that topic that is referencing the name or names of that person, it'll give you search data for not just the search terms for that person's name or the alternatives to that person's name, but anything, and this is where we get into some trouble here, but anything that Google and its algorithmic wisdom deems related to the topic, the topic of John Moxley. So if I type John Moxley into Google Trends right now, the, the top related queries that it tells me uh, worldwide basis are Ambrose, Dean Ambrose, Moxley, John Moxley, WWE, uh, Ambrose WWE, W.D. and Ambrose, A.W. Roman Reigns, Moxley, A.W. Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, A.W. John Moxley, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, WWE, Renee Young, John Moxley, and so on. So I've seen some concern that maybe this data would only refer to John Moxley and would not refer to Dean Ambrose, and that is, that is not the case. This is referring to, hopefully, I'm sure it's not perfect, but it's referring to a lot of different queries that are related to the person John Moxley slash Dean Ambrose. So likewise for the vast majority of the other people, with some exceptions, especially the, the less well-known uh, people like, or people who are just earlier in their fame, it takes some time for Google Trends apparently to create a topic for someone. So people like Jungle Boy, MJF, Sammy Guevara, Orange Cassidy, Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford, and so on. So anyway, what we find, and you can find this on WrestleNomics at Twitter. Uh, I went back to uh, a full five years. So we're, going, we're starting with Q3 2015 all the way through Q2 2020. And I, I won't bore you too much by just reading through this, because I think it's, it, you'll get a, a much better grasp of it if you look at the table and look at the spreadsheet if you want to, if you want to really get into this, but... Suffice to say, like one of the takeaways here is that uh, it, it's another reinforcement of do not underestimate the level of exposure that being in WWE for a while or a long time uh, gives someone, at least in terms of their web search results on a worldwide basis. So I sorted this uh, by the average over the last three quarters, that would be since the time that AEW has been on TNT. 
And the top four names over that time are John Moxley, Chris Jericho, Matt Hardy, and Cody Rhodes. Four people who had been in WWE previously. Interestingly, Kenny Omega is number five. It's not necessarily interesting that he's number five, but there are some other interesting results when you look closer at the trends for Kenny Omega. What we find for Kenny Omega is that searches for him on a worldwide basis were higher in his last two years in New Japan than they are at any time yet after he left New Japan. And Kenny Omega left New Japan having his last match there on January 4th, 2019. Now, that's on a worldwide basis, but we see similar results if we break that down just to the United States. So it's not as if searches in Japan are greatly distorted. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Dot com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, I'm setting these things off. It's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast 
Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived. And, and really, the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door the results here even in the United States, there was a stronger trend for web searches in his last years with New Japan than there is for the time after that. And this was a, an issue that a lot of people reacted to when I posted this stuff. And some of the questions that were raised are, are interesting and, and, and good questions to look into to address just some of the usual and good questions that people ask when we try to study web searches. As in, what's the significance of a web search? Let's try to understand that. So, so one of the things that uh, somebody asked was, or said, was that, you know, after uh, Kenny Omega became famous and had great matches with Kazuchika Okada, for example, and he became a big star for the first time, at that point, people had to search for him. And after that point, people knew who he was and didn't have to search for him anymore. So this brings up the issue with Google web search. Man, this is how far down the rabbit hole I am. <laughs> we, we, are, we are unpacking the minutia of understanding Google web searches as it relates to the wrestling industry. But, but so, so this is something that you might call the discovery effect, which you do see uh, 
anytime that, say, somebody debuts or a big moment in somebody's career happens or you especially see it when somebody dies. You know, I collected a lot of names related to WWE that I may or may not get into today, uh, including China. Searches for China when she passes away in 2016 are, are really high, higher than that of, I think, anybody in WWE during that year, in, in the month that she passes away. And in fact, the, the thing that really skews and upsets the, the, the scale of, of doing this over a large period of time is Chris Benoit. It's pretty clear if Google Web Search is any indication that the Chris Benoit uh, murder-suicide story is the biggest wrestling news story, uh, at least since 2004, if not ever. So it just sort of totally messes up everything that you try to understand in June of 2007, at least related to WWE. But anyway, there is this, what I would call a discovery effect. Again, around the time that somebody becomes famous for the first time or debuts in a promotion for the first time or becomes a big star for the first time. Uh, For example, when Kenny Omega becomes a big star on a level he had never been at before when he has that big, uh, memorable, and famous match with Kazuchika Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 2017 in January of that year. And and sometimes people want to kind of dismiss... Uh, Google web search data as being, I don't know, interesting or meaningful because of this, these kinds of, of effects. And I think that's generally going a little too far. Now, maybe I'm biased because after all, I'm the one who's collecting the data and putting all sorts of time into trying to analyze and understand and get meaning out of the data. So maybe there's an urge to ascribe meaning on my part. But I, I think there are meaningful uh, meaningful trends and meaningful things that we learn from researching this data. If you're hearing gunshots going on in the back, they are not, in fact, gunshots, but they are. I don't think they are. I think they are fireworks. They could be, in fact, anti-Google web search skeptics. But I think like any metric, it is any metric that we use to try to understand something about the wrestling industry, or in this case, something about somebody's star power or the economic effect that a given wrestler or personality may have on a business. Especially these days, there is seldom ever just one metric that will tell you that somebody is a draw. These are all just puzzle pieces, if you will. So I've been downloading the CSVs from Google Trends, and I've been studying this stuff for a few years now. And I think I have a decent understanding of the kinds of things to to take seriously and to not take seriously. And the data is not perfect, and sometimes it's complicated by ambiguities. Like sometimes uh, there are unrelated or unwanted queries that are included in somebody's topic, and you may see for a given uh, topic way back in time before this person was ever a public figure, there's somehow search activity related to this person. The one who comes to mind is Paige, where we see, well, I think there is a lot of real data in the data, and I think she is one of the most searched for people in WB of the modern, of the modern times, the last five years or so. If you look at her topic going back to 2004, well before she was a public figure, when she would have been about age 12, 
there is far less, but still some search data for her, which I would not expect to see. Whereas with other people, before they were public figures, you see the number right down to zero. But anyway, with some imperfections and caveats, I think what the Google web search tells you and keeping in mind that Google is, as, as we sit here, the by far the most popular search engine in the world. And I know it's not the most popular search engine in every country in the world. But it certainly is in the United States. It probably is in most English-speaking countries. And I think it's a good suggestion of what we might call mind share is. Uh, about a person or a thing or a topic. I think it's a, it's a decent metric for asking the question and trying to understand an answer to the question, how much are people thinking about this person or thing? But like so many other things in wrestling, whether it's a TV rating or an attendance or a quarter hour, it is only a puzzle piece. And it is not in itself sufficient for satisfying the question that wrestling fans are desperate to answer, is this person a draw or not a draw? But I think it's a good suggestion. It provides a good hint. And with other data, with other, uh, other data from other aspects of business, I think it's one thing among other things that you could use together to make a case for a wrestling star being or perhaps not being a positive economic difference maker. So back to Kenny Omega. So he's got strong web search activity worldwide, and even in the U.S., during the time that he's in New Japan, a Japanese-based company, more search activity happening at that time than there is in this AEW part of his career. You know, Despite the fact that I think it's pretty much inarguable that Kenny Omega is now in the U.S., certainly, and probably on a worldwide basis, is now exposed on stronger distribution platforms, distribution platforms that have a stronger reach in this AEW part of his career than he did in the New Japan part of his career. Why do I think that? Well, in New Japan, he was on Japanese TV, uh, in the middle of the night on TV Asahi in one country. He was on Access, which is a relatively minor cable channel uh, that's in about 40 million homes, which is about half of what TNT is in. And TNT is a stronger, more high-profile network. In addition to TNT, AEW is distributed in a number of uh, countries outside the U.S., mostly on Warner Media related channels. And I'm not aware of really any international TV broadcasting that he was on on a regular basis while he was with New Japan. And it's true, sometimes he was on Ring of Honor TV, I think, right? And But Ring of Honor, syndicated on Sinclair stations, that, that's worth something. Uh, Ring of Honor, not in every market in the U.S., Last I knew, they were still not in uh, in the, the major three markets of the of New York, 
Chicago. Maybe they were getting on Chicago. Lavi uh, Margolin is, is yelling at me, I'm sure now. But I think at one point they were not yet on in the New York, L.A., and Chicago markets. So I, I may be, uh, I may need some help with some of the details here, but I, I don't think it can be argued that Kenny Omega was on stronger distribution platforms with, when he was with New Japan than he is now, now that he is with AEW. And in fact, it seems clear that he is now on stronger distribution platforms with a stronger reach in this current part of his career. So if you didn't know better, you might expect to find his web search trends continue to climb upward and be higher than they were during the time that he was with New Japan, but that is not the case. Web searches for Kenny Omega are in fact lower for him since he left New Japan. Now, probably a lot of that has to do with how he's positioned in AEW versus how he was positioned in New Japan. He was positioned more as a main eventer in New Japan, especially in those last couple years. And he has not yet often been positioned as a main eventer while in AEW. And this leads uh, some people to sort of use this data to back up an argument that, look, Kenny Omega is being underutilized. And maybe he is. Yeah, maybe it's the case that this is someone who, who is primed and ready to be a bigger star than he is being at the moment. Yet I think whether or not that's justifiable or economically uh, beneficial or preferable has to be weighed against whatever alternatives you think AEW is choosing instead of pushing Kenny Omega as more of a main event player right now. Maybe one would argue that whatever he's doing with Adam Page right now on a tag team is working toward elevating Adam Page so that the, the sum in the end will be greater than whatever Kenny Omega would have done as, a, as an individual or in some alternate scenario. Now, I did a similar search for WWE as well. Uh, with the, the AEW research was called the Moxley scale because I kind of have to find the person who has the highest peak of Google Web Search and then measure that person against everybody else because Google Web Search does, or Google Trends does not give us absolute numbers, does not give us real numbers, but gives us a, a index measured against the highest volume. Anyway, for people currently on the AEW roster going back five years, that person is John Moxley. For WWE, uh, with some exceptions that I had to reconcile, going back to 2004, that person is John Cena. Now, as I said, there are some exceptions, like Ronda Rousey. Her peak when she was with UFC is enormous, so I had to adjust for that. Otherwise, her if I used Ronda Rousey as as the, the standard, she would have dwarfed everyone, and I think the, the data would have been harder to make substance out of. But one of the takeaways I found was I, I also went into cage match and pulled out all the all-time rosters for each year going back to 2004 to the present. And then I used the Google web search data to find who, who are the, the top 10 for each year in terms of searches and then count up how many matches each of those 10 people had in each of the years. And what you find is, somewhat not surprisingly, that in recent years, the number of matches that the top 10 have had in the year for WWE has 
shrunk, is, is declining in number. That is, the people who are in the top 10 are increasingly so people who don't have a lot of matches in the year for WWE. So let's just rule out 2020 because it's a weird year and there's coronavirus and there's no house shows. But in 2019, the top 10, and by the way, you've got to have at least one WWE match in the year to qualify for the list. That is my self-created criteria. Uh, the top 10 are Cena, Reigns, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey, Triple H, Becky Lynch, Dave Batista, Seth Rollins, and Randy Orton. Those 10 people had a total of 471 matches, down from the prior year at 574, from the prior year of 601, from the prior year of 701, from the prior year of 851. Then he gets thrown off a bit because The Rock is in there. By the way, some information about TV viewership. First on a whole program basis before we touch on the quarter hours. Just some takeaways, uh, not just from last week, but sort of in, in general. I'm watching closely how the, the key demo 18 to 49 is uh, when you combine NXT and AEW. And I'm looking at whether or not that's uh, that combined number is how that's comparing with Raw and SmackDown. This week, it exceeded uh, at least Raw. For the first time since I think the early days of the Wednesday night competition, uh, 5-1, 0.51 for NXT and AEW combined versus Raw's 0.48. SmackDown, we only get to the 10th. We only get one decimal for SmackDown. So it did a 0.50 as as the best I can tell. But if they're rounding to the nearest 10th, then it could have done as much as a 0.54, which would be higher than AEW and NXT combined. AEW and NXT combined, though, still lower than the total audience, on, on the total audience, about 1.5 million viewers total between NXT and AEW, uh, still short of Raw this week of 1.7 million. And it has never been the case yet that AEW and NXT combined uh, have exceeded the total audience of Raw in the same week, not even in the, uh, the debut week for AEW did that happen. But why am I watching this? I have this, uh, the prediction that, uh, I think I made, I made the prediction that sometime in 2021, NXT and AEW combined, which of course run head-to-head at the same time, 8 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night, combined, uh, my prediction is that by 2021, or it was back in September, that those two programs combined would exceed uh, either Raw or SmackDown on an individual basis. In other words, Wednesday night will become the biggest night for wrestling viewership in the key demo. I, th- I think that's going to happen more quickly because that's what coronavirus does. It makes things that are going to happen happen a little bit more quickly than they would otherwise. See, I'm just scanning here. I think that is the only, the only time that the only other time that AEW and NXT combined have exceeded Raw was on the first week, uh, was on the Dynamite debut on October 2nd where along with NXT, it combines to a 1.0 even compared to Raw's 0.89. But it did so again this week. Uh, but that being said, the decline in viewership, this is another major takeaway, I mean, not big news, but another takeaway that I have is that Raw and SmackDown that were declining strongly in April and part of March, they really settled down and have plateaued here in May and June. This uh, apparently coronavirus-related decline in viewership has settled down for Raw and SmackDown. It has not been as strong for
for NXT or AEW. While I think coronavirus has hurt NXT and AEW, I don't believe, as I've heard some others say, that it has hurt everybody equally. It is not. It has hurt Raw and SmackDown more. But related to TV viewership, uh, some other things I've been working on. I've made some tables here, which you can find yourself in the Showbuzz Daily viewership spreadsheet, which is available on WrestleNomics.com. Anyone can access it. It is like a public library. This is not super secret special information. This is just information that I have happened to type into Excel spreadsheet cells over the last few years. But anyway, in one of the tabs in that spreadsheet, I've made a, a table to give a visual representation of, of what's been happening in the competition between AEW and NXT throughout the, the history of that competition going back to October 2nd uh, across all the demographics that Showbiz Daily tells us about. And by the way, this week we should note that uh, NXT did have an, an impressive uh, performance. NXT did not beat AEW in the key demo. NXT has only done that once in the history of this competition, going back to December 18th. That's the only time that AEW uh, beat a or NXT beat AEW in the key demo, 18 to 49. But NXT has beaten AEW in the total audience a number of times, including this past week. Of course, you've got Chris Jericho out here on Twitter screenshotting Showbuzz Daily and shouting about uh, key demos and how they matter. Uh, uh, it, it, it is indeed the, the uh, demographic that advertisers care greatly about. But in many ways, this was NXT's best performance in a long time. This, of course, was the, the Great American Bash episode going head-to-head -head against Fighter Fest for AEW. Uh, NXT did its highest 18-49 uh, rating since March 4th. It did its highest total audience since February 19th. And compared to all other cable programs airing on Wednesday night on that night, it ranked 12th. That's the highest it's ranked since December 4th. And another remarkable fact, what's the demo? That NXT always wins, almost always. NXT almost always beats AEW Dynamite in the P50+. This color-coded table uh, that I've created, you, again, you can find that on the spreadsheet if you want to look at it. It's the W slash L for win-loss tab. Uh, there is only one week uh, that we know of. There are some weeks where we don't have full demographic views because NXT ranked below... The top 50, I think, is if you're not in the top 50, we only get the key demo and the total audience. And there are some weeks back in uh, late March and, and April and some even in uh, early January where NXT did not rank in the top 50. So we don't have a complete demographic view. But for those that we do, which is the majority of them, there is only one week that we know of when AEW actually beat NXT in the P50 plus, the olds category, as some call it. That week was February 26th. I don't know what AEW did to attract the old audience. But on that week, though, in fact, they beat NXT in every single demographic. The only week that that has happened. Uh, NXT and AEW also tied in the week before and week after in that old demographic. But AEW continues to win in the vast majority of demographics, except for total audience and people over the age of 50. And, and that's another aside we can get into here is I just, I, I would like to meet and hear from this large section of the audience, especially for NXT, but all, you know, other programs as well. But the, 
Raw and SmackDown, and maybe, let's see, yeah, not, not in every week, but in some weeks, AEW as well, the biggest, the highest rated demographic uh, on the Showbuzz Daily tables anyway is the P50 Plus demographic. And as, as someone who, I don't know, interacts with uh, people of my same age who, who are wrestlers or wrestling fans, and I, I see people interacting on Twitter all the time who I imagine are around my age or younger, maybe some a little bit older. I'm 34. Oh, by the way, my, I'm, I'm about to, to leave that 18 to 34 demographic, which is heartbreaking. But my question is, who, who is this large, you know, portion of the demographic, large portion of the wrestling audience, at least the TV viewing audience, that is over the age of 50? And, and may, maybe this is just a function of, to some degree it must be, a function of people who watch linear TV, regular TV, uh, on their TV set through a cable or satellite service. Sometimes I watch it on Sling, and that, that stuff is available, and that stuff is recorded by Nielsen. But anyway, it, maybe it, to some degree, it must be a, just a, a function of, of older people tend to consume content in the more traditional way. Younger people tend to consume it less so in that way. And maybe to some degree, in reality, the people who are interested or engaging in, or watching the, the wrestling, the WWE or AEW content, are... In fact, younger than than the, the the demographics show, I'm sure that's happening to some extent. I just don't know how much, and I'm curious to know whether the audience is really as old as the demographics suggest, or to what degree they actually are. I guess I'm saying this because if you go to a wrestling show, whether that's not just an indie show but a a WWE show or an AEW show, I haven't been to an AEW show, but you know, a few years ago, I went to a, a handful of, of WWE events, and you don't see many people who look to be over the age of 50. You see anything but that. I guess, so who are all these people who are, you know, watching the TV, but apparently, at least in non-coronavirus times, not buying tickets? And I'd be curious to know, too, and we'll probably never know, what are the age demographics of something like the WWE Network, which is a newer form of media streaming video? And if there really is this disproportionate older audience in the wrestling culture and we're not capturing their, their, their ticket revenue, why not? What's, I mean, is there a business opportunity there that's not being seized in non-coronavirus times? Is there something that's just not being done to sell people over the age of 50 on tickets and you would think that money is not as much of an issue, right? Older people, older the people are, the more of more income they tend to have available. So I don't know that that is one of the questions that perplexes me. If you have thoughts about it, uh, l- let me know. Quarter hours. Thanks to our friend Detlef, who has entered all the quarter hour data that has been reported in the Wrestling Observer newsletter. He has entered all those numbers into the spreadsheet, and I spent a few hours delving into them today. Uh, I have at one point tried to line up all the quarter hours with what was actually happening in the quarter hour on the respective programs. Uh, that's, that's not exactly what I was getting into today. What I was getting into today was more of creating a, a, a table that shows who won each quarter hour and then separately in what quarter in what quarter hours in the history of this Wednesday night competition, in what segments is it the case that one of the programs gained in viewers 
while the other program lost viewers. So in other words, try and get an idea of what are the segments in which one program perhaps took viewers away from another program. The two programs here obviously being NXT and AEW Dynamite. So not to disappoint anybody, I'm not going to tell you who's a draw and who's not a draw today. I will, I will try to get into this uh, more later to identify and label what these segments are. But we have the quarter hours for most weeks broken down both by total audience and by key demo because key demo is the only one that matters, according to Chris Jericho. And, and yes, I know it, it does matter a lot more than the total audience. But anyway, basically we're asking who led and who gained. Those are the two questions. And what stands out the most here is... In the key demo, AEW has led NXT in every single quarter hour that I have. I'm, I'm, I am missing, uh, I am missing some stuff. So we're, we're starting at not at the beginning on October 1st. I don't have data going all the way back there. I have it from November 13th through the present. I am missing three weeks. Those three weeks are December 18th, January 8th, and April 8th. But everything else I have. So we're dealing with 30 weeks of competition here. And in the key demo, AEW has led NXT in every single quarter hour except for five. Two of those quarter hours that NXT led AEW for were last week, not uh, July 1st, but June 24th in the final two segments of the June 24th program. I think I heard Victory Lap Lanza uh, tell me that that involved Orange Cassidy and uh, Matt Hardy and Chris Jericho as well. Clearly, I'm not watching every one of these episodes closely. As you would expect, in the total audience uh, is is more competitive. Still, uh, from from November 6th through the present, AEW wins about two thirds of, of the quarters in total audience. Again, the last two weeks going particularly well for NXT. Uh, two weeks ago, June 24th, NXT won nine out of ten of the quarters in total audience, and then this week, one in six out of ten of the quarters. Six out of ten, what am I saying? There's eight quarters. I'm sorry. Seven out of eight last week, five out of eight this week. So big takeaway here, NXT is gaining some momentum. Watch to see if this trend continues. So that's all I have. I'm, I'm at the hour. I apologize to Jerry McDivitt. I apologize to Bushi Road hope to get to those topics next time i will say that many of the things that jeremy mcdivitt rose in his defense and argument for dismissal of the class action lawsuit uh, were raised uh, when we discussed this a couple weeks ago but i am at the hour and that is my self-imposed limit you can find a lot of the information that we talked about in this hour at wrestlenomics.com if not there you can find it on twitter at wrestlenomics you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston, and I'll talk to you again next time.